Chelsea Fairless. And it's hot as balls in Los Angeles currently, but Chelsea doesn't feel it. And I'm feeling a little gaslit. There is no humidity, Lauren. This is dry heat. Look, it's drier than New York, but as someone who has lived here almost their entire life, it's getting more humid. It's more moist. This dry heat is is not moist moist at all. It's more moist than it was. I don't think it's moist. I think you're crazy. Wow. Wow. I'm just not that sensitive to heat. Like if I don't have to be out in it, like it would be one thing if I had to work outside or something. We should say you're not sensitive to heat because you're not out in the heat. (laughs) That's true. I've been like a total recluse for the past few days. Like I've, I've left my house to run errands and shit like that, but I have not like talked to a person. That's true. Your wife is out of town currently. Yeah. I'm all by myself and... So I'm sorry if I have, like, Nell energy. (laughs) A little bit. I've been doing my Nell shit, like, (laughs) by myself. Am I Liam Neeson in this scenario? Or am I Holly Hunter? I think you're Holly Hunter. So, the Hocus Pocus poster? Yes, I think the poster had the same retoucher as the Sex and the City 2 poster. I'm sorry, that's so bitchy, but it wasn't that. It was not that bad. I think there's something inherently campy about the combination of like Photoshop, 2022 makeup, and these women who are playing characters, which we haven't seen in 20 years. 25? 25 years. Like it just looks surreal. Although I think that Bette Midler and Kathy Najimy look pretty much the same. Sarah Jessica Parker just has a drastically different makeup look like the wig the wig too right the wig is a little more beachy like before she was more tousled in like 90s well yeah i think that was more her original hair in the first film and again as we've stated previously at some point once sarah Jessica parker did those garnier fruitis ads her we never saw cuckoo curly carry again <laughs> it's true but i really wasn't prepared for the susie sue eye makeup Yes. Well, we know that Sarah Jessica Parker loves a heavy, dramatic eye, and I'm glad she was able to channel that to the fullest extent with this character. Well, this is like Cleopatra level. It's funny because I feel like her makeup in Hocus Pocus originally is now very in style. Like the extreme, like brushed eyebrow, the smoky eye, the like dark lip with the really pale skin. It's very like Isamaya French vibes. It is also, my TikTok is just filled with the fact that the indie sleaze aesthetic is back. So I think that's also why Gen Z might fuck with this look. One thing that I wasn't expecting to see was the return of, did you notice this? No, what? Her mole is back. <gasps> I'm looking at it now. The mole is back. SJP got that mole lasered off only to have to have a prosthetic mole put back for Hocus Pocus 2. Although in Hocus Pocus, she had that mole, but they turned it into like a beauty mark. Like she penciled it. I feel like you could get rid of that with just a line of dialogue, though. You know, she used a spell and she got rid of her mole. No, she need, she's a fucking witch. Okay. Witches have moles. All right. So then the mole is back. The mole's back. I'm into it. 
So we have an update on the release date of And Just Like That. This is an Every Outfit exclusive. You'll never believe who our source is, guys. And we know this because he was at the same restaurant as our friend and she was like, what should I ask him? And so we were like, ask him when And Just Like That comes out. We need to plan our summers. So he said June. But he would not give any information about Aiden. So that'll be a mystery. I feel like I need to share with with our listeners that our friend did say that she is friends with us. And he goes, I love those girls. They're so smart. And you and I were like, oh, then he's never listened to this podcast. And then. thank God. I hope he never does. Because I genuinely do love him. I appreciate everything that he's given to us. Like, he's our literal dad. But being in the position that we're in, we had to say our real opinion about and just like that and i think he enjoys the discourse though i think he does too or maybe he's not phased by it but i'm glad that he hasn't listened to the podcast because he shouldn't like if i was michael patrick king i would be like on a yacht somewhere not like listening to some bitches talk about some show that i made yeah i mean he's laughing all the way to the bank yeah he really is and guess what we'll be there front and center (laughs) in other news the vma has happened They did. I did not watch them. I was being a human being. I went on a hike with our manager Sunday evening, and I completely forgot that the VMAs were happening. That's so crazy. On one hand, when I watch the VMAs, I'm like, I'm too old for this. I can't imagine knowing that the VMAs are on and like not watching them. So I actually don't understand your experience. I feel like as long as one of us is watching it, we're good. Yeah. Anyway, tell me things. I know Lizzo was there in an incredible Jean-Paul Gaultier couture gown from the Glenn Martins collection. Lizzo looked amazing. It was such a good look because it was like Missy Elliott in the Rain music video by way of like the couture salon. Yeah, I thought it was an inspired choice by her stylist, Brett Allen Nelson, who also works with Doja Cat. He recently put her in Scaparelli for the Billboard Awards. Mm. What, put Doja Cat? Yeah. In? I haven't really been keeping up with Doja Cat. You didn't watch the Billboard Awards, Chelsea? <laughs> no. I can't imagine never watching the Billboard Awards. Okay, the Billboard Awards are not that exciting. The VMAs, I think it's because as a teenager, the VMAs were like the Oscars. Oh, yeah. And that lives inside me. Still. Okay, so you watched, but I understand that Johnny Depp appeared as the CGI face on a human-sized moon man that descended from the sky? See, I missed that because I was too busy trying to figure out, like, how to watch the VMAs (laughs) when you don't have cable. Which is like a full nightmare. Thank you for reminding me. This is merely what I gleaned from Twitter as it was happening. It seems a little unnecessary. Not that I think that Johnny Depp shouldn't be able to like work or be a public figure, but it it does feel like it has some sort of agenda behind it, kind of. Well, yeah, and also he looked terrible. He was clean shaven. He looks bloated as shit. So they just took his face and put it on the the moon man figure. So it was hard to even understand who it was to begin with. Yeah. Like if he opened up the visor and he was Jack Sparrow, it'd be like, oh, that makes sense. That would be a touchstone that Gen Z understands. Well, the VMAs is weird because it's like a Frankenstein or Frankenstein's monster. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, I had to clarify. It's like a Frankenstein's monster of things that appeal to different people, right? Like there's stuff at the VMAs that appeals to people our age. Is there anything left? 
Yeah, but it's like sad shit. Like the Red Hot Chili Peppers are performing. There's shit for older people. Right. That younger people don't care about and vice versa. So it's kind of a weird mix of stuff. Well, but the Red Hot Chili Peppers aren't even for us. They're for Gen X who have Gen Z children. Right. And like Cheech and Chong introduced, I don't know if it was the Red Hot Chili Peppers or Eminem and Snoop Dogg, one of them. But it's like, okay, who's that for? (laughs) Baby boomers like never watch the VMAs. Like that is not necessary that seems like an artist request almost like a fuck you i hope it was the red hot chili peppers that were like all right we will perform on your network for the fourth decade but guess what we're gonna make you get cheech and chong and pay them a rate yeah it was a weird vibe but one performance i did care about was Nicki minaj's 10 minute medley of her hits because she was getting the video vanguard award yes i love mtv's invented awards which i think started with was Michael Jackson the first one to get the video Vanguard? And that was when like Britney Spears introduced him. Do they still do the thing where they get a really famous person to introduce another famous person to then introduce the awards? Remember, that was a big thing in the early yeah. 2000s. Well, this was kind of the opposite of that because they got a group of barbs <laughs> to present her with the award. But they looked so nice and like young and like not like they're cyberbullying people to suicide on Twitter. Well, I think the move would have been if they got Little Nas X, who is a Barb who had a Barb stand Twitter, right? But she doesn't like him because in an interview, he said that he didn't want to be upfront about being a Barb initially in his career because people would think he was gay. And she took issue with that. I mean, fair enough. I don't think she should be annoyed at him. Right. I think that's like insane. What an evening if they had buried their beef with each other and he had presented the Video Vanguard Award to her. Because he was there. Yeah, he was there. My favorite thing about the medley that Nicki Minaj did was her self-censoring. I was like, why is she not singing? I was like, oh, because these are all curse words. Look, it was a very mixed bag. I think that it says so much that she featured her verse from Monster. Yeah, that was amazing. That was probably the highlight. And that was like the second song she did. Yeah, well, she was like rapping Monster to some chick that was like tied to a chair and gagged. I mean, I was kind of into it. What did you think of the production design? I was thinking of you with the Barbie dollhouse. It was just not that good. It was not that good. I'm sure if I had been there, I would have died to see it live. You know, like to see her do monster into bees in the trap into Chun-Li. Like I would have just been so happy. But I feel like it was missing something. Also, I don't even want to call it lip syncing because it wasn't lip syncing. But when it got to super freaky girl and like the song was playing and she didn't even have a mic. But it seemed like she was treating herself on the backing vocal as a backup singer to herself as she transitioned but it wasn't just the backing vocals like that's normal it was like the chorus of the songs no that's what i'm saying she's treating her own chorus as the backing vocals like she did the rap like some of the rapping parts for the earlier songs but it was just like a very a very weird vibe So here's a sentence. I'm not sure what it means, but it happened. Young Gravy was there with Addison Rae's mother. I think that's more of a Who Weekly thing because I don't know who Young Gravy is. I don't know. I just, all I know on Daily Mail is this is something that happened and it's significant in some way. So I'm just, I'm putting it out there that we're aware this happened. We're not (laughs) sure what it means, but. 
We've put no effort into figuring out what it means. I mean, I do, but you're just going to be annoyed at the explanation. What? Young Gravy is some rapper who has a TikTok rap song or a rap song that was made famous on TikTok. Addison Rae is the famous TikToker that does sort of like lazy choreography and has tens of millions of fans. Her parents are very messy. The father was caught DMing young girls. And so I think in retaliation, the mom took a very young guy to the VMAs and they were used parlance from our youth macking on each other all evening. (laughs) No, thank you for that. Now I know. Even though Nikki got the Video Vanguard Award and performs, Taylor Swift really dominated the diet. She won for the All Too Well video, Fair. I feel like the VMAs are like the People's Choice Awards, where if Taylor Swift is there, she's winning the big award of the night. Yeah. Well, do you want to know what the other nominees were since you didn't watch it? Sure. The nominations for Video of the Year were... (laughs) Wow. Shivers by Ed Sheeran. Hard pass. Yeah. Brutal by Olivia Rodrigo. Great. Love Petra Collins. Woman by Doja Cat. Was indifferent about this video. As it was by Harry Styles. Sure. I don't understand it, but... Something tells me if he was willing to stop his tour and show up that night, he would have won the award, but go on. Lil Nas X for Industry Baby. That was the video of the year, actually. I'm going to start a rumor. I think Nicki Minaj squashed that. I think he was going to (laughs) win. And then she was like, if you're giving me the Vanguard Award, he can't win video of the year. Yeah, she probably would. Because that was like, between the naked dance sequence in the showers... And like the Shawshank Redemption references and the overall just like David LaChapelle feel to it. Right. I feel like it kind of was the most major video. I mean, obviously I could do without Jack Harlow's part, but whatever. But Taylor made the most video. (laughs) She did. And the last nominee for album of the year was Way Too Sexy by Drake, which is like, no, no. More of a God's plan person myself. So Taylor won, but that wasn't the big news of the evening, was it? No, it was the fact that when she won, she announced that her album would be coming out on October 21st, which you know what day that is. It's Kim Kardashian's birthday. And people think that she did that maliciously. But did she? I kind of doubt it. I don't think it's malicious, but I think when that was brought up to her, she wasn't like, oh, I should move off of this date because people are going to talk. I think she is enjoying this conjecture, but I don't think it was done with ill will. But couldn't that be an accident? Like, I don't know what Kim Kardashian's birthday is. Well, I guess Carly Rae Jepsen is also in June announced she was releasing a record on October 21st as well. Yeah, as is who? B.B. Rexa, Megan Trainer, someone else has an album. Sorry to all of them. Yeah, sorry to those people. The album is called Midnights. Yeah, you sent this to me Sunday night, and I was like, oh, why is Chelsea sending me an editorial of Angela Linval in the face circa 2001? <laughs> it was so the face vibes. Like, this album cover really honed in on a very specific aesthetic, and it was like trip-hop album covers of the 1990s. Like, if your band had a front-of-book feature in Nylon Magazine or The Face in 1997, like, your record probably looked like this. If Taylor's doing, like, sexy, six-underground, Portishead-esque ballads, I'm in. What are we called? I'm a full Swifty. (sighs) Yeah, I really wonder what 
the sound will be. Because of the visuals, I assume she's moving away from the folklore type shit, which great. It worked at the time, but now we can move on. And I wonder if there's going to be a single on this that is just like a very classic Taylor pop song. I think she's obligated to, but you know that that won't be the first single because I think I can say this safely. She does not pick the best first singles. No, I don't think she's picked a good lead single since 1989 like reputation and lover were both great albums but yeah with terrible first singles and second singles i'm intrigued to see where this is going to go because the visuals are a very sultry liz fair cheryl crow mid 90s like i got fucked over by a guy aesthetic but she seems to be very happy but I don't know if I need another record about how much she enjoys fucking this beige Englishman. Supposedly, the songs on this record were written during bouts of insomnia throughout her life. So that could be true. That could definitely be the case. Or she doesn't want people to know that these songs are all about Joe. Or maybe she did write songs about old flames and shit, you know? Here's hoping for Tom Hiddleston. <laughs> Who knows? We don't know. Uh, which one of Blake Lively's children is she using their name to write a song in their perspective from? We'll see. We'll see. One other noteworthy thing about this is that she seems to be returning to her old release strategy, which is like album in the fall, presumably we'll get a summer tour. But when that summer tour happens, like that's going to encompass like 10,000 albums because that's lover- Folklore Evermore. Oh, the album she didn't get the to tour. The reissues yeah. of Fearless and Red, Taylor's version, all of that shit. And Midnight's. That's like a lot of albums that to represent in a single yeah, tour. Especially because you know she'll have to do the 10-minute version of All Too Well. And that will take up like a lot of time. Well, that's going to be her stairway to heaven, right? That's what she's performing <laughs> at the end. Yeah. We didn't introduce this at the beginning, but ostensibly this is our Divas News section. And for reasons, we've added Leonardo DiCaprio to our Diva Roundup. Like everyone who gives a shit about pop culture already knows, DiCaprio and his girlfriend Camilla Maroney have broken up two and a half months after she turned 25. So everyone who had that on their 2022 bingo card can cross that off now. I feel bad for his girlfriend. Imagine if your boyfriend dumped you and then this was the internet discourse. Why do you assume that he dumped her? Because she turned 25. Right, but maybe she's self-aware enough to be like, I don't know, all of his girlfriends kind of have their best lives afterwards. So I'm, I'm excited for her. Are you keeping track with, with his ex-girlfriends? Like, who are his girlfriends? I don't know any of them. Giselle, Blake Lively. He dated Blake Lively? Very briefly, yes. You Has he dated other actresses? Because I thought he just dated models. I've never heard of him dating. No, he's a modelizer for sure. Which is not a great quality in a person. The fact that he won't date anyone <laughs> older than the age of 25, he's truly living the Matthew McConaughey, Dazed and Confused adage, I get older, they stay the same age. Yeah, they really do. I think it's time to get into some fashion news. So Kate Moss has a new skincare and wellness brand called Cosmos. The line includes CBD face oil, a face cream, a face cleanser, a fragrance, and two kinds of tea named Dusk and Dawn. The tea seemed random, but then I remember that she's British. I think we need to get that. Like we need to drink Kate Moss's tea. 
<laughs> we do need to drink Kate Moss's tea. Well, you know I'm in because I'm like celebrity brand trash. Like Kate Hudson's protein powder, I got it. Goo products, of course I own it. As you all know, got Kim Kardashian skin products. How's that working for you, by the way? Eh, you know, there are better guys. I think we all really? need this. Yeah, the eye cream is pretty good. All right. Good to know. Yeah. See, I've been using Alder New York, a fuck-it owned brand that sent us stuff. Oh, yeah. I gave that to you, right? Yeah. You should use it. I have been using it. Yeah, if you're looking for a brand that's not owned by a celebrity and uh, if you want to support queer and a woman-owned business, I think we would suggest Alder Skincare. Yeah. That's not Spawn, but we just... No, it's definitely not Spawn. But what else do you use? Like, I use Chanel moisturizer usually. But, like, what moisturizer do you use? At night, I'm a CeraVe girl. Okay. And then during the day, I use whatever that that French skincare uh, moisturizer that everyone uses. <laughs> We're so bad about talking about this shit. Yeah, clearly we don't have a career in, in Beauty Spawn. But... Going back to Kate Moss's skincare and wellness beauty brand, how do I say this without being a bitch? I don't associate Kate Moss with self-care necessarily. No, and that's why we love her. I know. One of the pillars of, of, <laughs> of her is like smoking cigarettes, doing coke, and being muddy at Glastonbury. Yeah, that's why we loved the Diet Coke partnership. Because that felt really organic. But to bring it back to Glastonbury, she always pulled these kind of like boho Anita Pallenberg looks. And like she's always had that boho side and the packaging very much speaks to that. Yeah, and she's one of these cool British people that has a cottage in the Cotswold. And I think that's what is inspiring that whole thing. I did read a Vogue article about this. And like the person she started the brand with has like helped her get into self-care and such. Because <laughs> again, when you sent me this originally, I was like, oh. It's like she should make a line of cigarettes or something. I'd buy those. Like, and, I, and I don't even smoke. Like pink cigarettes. Just like Kate Moss branded cigarettes. Because this feels very Silver Lake. The packaging, like the colors are like gold and then this kind of like muted chartreuse. And right. there's all of these graphic elements that look like little like moons and suns and stuff that just like feels very... Design is a little Urban Outfitters trying to look like an independent Highland Park skincare brand. Yes, that's exactly what it is, for sure. Having said that, we're there. We're going to buy yeah, it. Yeah, I'm still going to buy it. <laughs> we just have to note that the design is a little... Eh. It's expensive, but How... the tea is only 20 pounds. Like pounds like the currency. Sure. Not like we're not buying 20 pound bags of Kate Moss tea. <laughs> right, which is like $35 for us probably. Yeah, but everything else is expensive. It's like the cleanser is like... $50 or something like that it's like no I think Kim Kardashian probably set the standard for celebrity mid-luxury you know not ultra ultra it's not Barbara Strum or yeah I feel like I either want it to be a bit cheaper or like a lot more expensive <laughs> at the $50 range you almost don't trust it <laughs> <laughs> if that night cream was like $300 <laughs> I wouldn't buy it, but I'd be enamored by it. Right. And you would feel like it would truly work. Yeah. 
Um, <laughs> all right. I hate this. All right. I'll take this next thing. Chelsea's like been fighting me tooth and nail, but I'm like, this is important. The internet waited with bated breath for Aritzia to unveil their new collection with internet it girl darling Emma Chamberlain. And the internet was disappointed. They did not like this collaboration, Chelsea. Except it wasn't a collaboration between Aritzia and Emma Chamberlain. They were simply using Emma as a model to unveil their fall Sunday Best collection. What's Sunday Best? So Aritzia follows the Urban Outfitters model where they have sub-labels. Right. And this is their most kind of... Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, youth Urban Outfitters age collection. Right. So like a lot of faux Mew Mew mini skirts and Oxford shirts and and stuff like that. But (laughs) when I put this in the doc, you were like, there's no article about this. And I'm like, no, I'm I'm hearing all about this on TikTok and Twitter. And what I find interesting about this is people are so Internet brained that they when they see Emma Chamberlain, who is an influencer, do something with a brand, they think that it must be a collaboration instead of a brand using Emma Chamberlain like they would have used an Icarl in the 90s or 2000s and had her just be the face of a collection. Right. They used her as a model and just a model. <laughs> she had no hand on the design at all. And people were very upset by that. I get that, though. We expect it at this point, especially with those sorts of mass retailers. But I'm glad that I now know this because now I know four things about Emma Chamberlain. The others being that she's a YouTuber. Correct. She wore Louis Vuitton to the Met Gala. Correct. And she's co-opted my favorite Erewhon salad, (laughs) which you informed me of, which has ruined my life. Shall we talk about who are the rumored new designers to take over for Virgil Abloh at Vuitton? Yes, I love this. So Business of Fashion published an article that says Martine Rose, Grace Walls, Bonner, and Telfar Clemens are among the designers who have been considered by Vuitton owner LVMH to succeed the late Virgil Abloh. A final pick is expected within weeks. Who are you rooting for, Chelsea? It's hard to say because all of these designers are fantastic. These are the people that should be considered for this job. And I'd be thrilled if any of them got them. And they all have different strengths, right? Like Telfar has probably built the strongest brand or has definitely built the strongest brand and one that's based on accessories. He's actually made an it bag. So for Louis Vuitton, that makes sense. But then Martine Rose is one of the best menswear designers that there is. She gets it. She can do streetwear type stuff. And she designed a lot of the early um, menswear for Balenciaga under Demna. So if you're looking to replicate that kind of vibe, that's who I would pick. But then like Grace Walls Bonner is like also amazing. Like she has a very specific aesthetic and a very cool like bougie Afro-Caribbean vibe. And she's had a very successful partnership with Adidas. So they all kind of have their different strengths. And I think all of them would be amazing choices. Yeah, the Business of Fashion article alludes that LVMH is trying to replicate the cult of personality, which would make me think it would be Telfar. But I I agree that they would be better off Picking someone that's more a fashion industry favorite, like a Martine Rose, and just designing really good clothing and letting that be the kind of the cult following. Like I said, they all have their qualities. For Telfar, it would be kind of insane because 
that's such an anti-establishment brand. That's a brand that exists like in reaction to both like mass market clothes and the luxury market. So to give him the resources of a really, really bougie house like Louis Vuitton, it's like, I would love to see what he would do. We'll report back when uh, when LVMH <laughs> names Martine Rose as the designer of Vuitton menswear. We'll see. Chelsea, would you be shocked to hear that Allure will be ceasing their print edition in December? No, because as I mentioned in a previous episode, those magazines were razor thin. There were no ads. Like, that was like a Karen Carpenter-sized magazine. Well, to be fair, they are not folding. They are just going to an exclusively digital model, and the December issue will be the last print issue. Which is what they should do. Yeah, it's unfortunate that they haven't been able to succeed since there has been such a boom in beauty the last five years. But look, if they put their beauty awards behind a paywall, I think we would pay for them. Just get like a yearly newsletter of the Allure Beauty Awards. Sure, I'd do it. I'd throw them five bucks Because I want someone to do that testing, right? They're kind of like consumer reports for that shit. Yeah. In other news... You're about to explain the Don't Worry Darling drama to me, right? Oh my God, my time has come. (laughs) You just lit up. You actually did. To explain how we got here, I unfortunately need to go back into the past, but I will do this timeline as concisely as possible. (laughs) Thank you for that. April 2020, it is announced that Olivia Wilde's follow-up to Booksmart will be the Warner Brothers film Don't Worry Darling starring Florence Pugh, Shia LaBeouf, and Chris Pine. Florence posts about this news on her Instagram. September 2020, Shia leaves the project due to scheduling conflicts and is replaced by Harry Styles. November 2020, Olivia Wilde and Jason Sudeikis announce their split after being engaged for seven years. December 2020, (laughs) FKA Twigs files a lawsuit against LaBeouf for alleged sexual battery, assault, and intentional infliction of emotional distress. The next day, Olivia Wilde posted on Instagram stories in support of Twigs and later said Shia departed Don't Worry Darling, not because of scheduling conflicts, but because she fired him. January 2021, Olivia Wilde and Harry Styles are seen holding hands, sparking dating rumors. (laughs) Guess what? They were dating. (laughs) (laughs) They are dating. They're still dating. February 2021, Don't Worry Darling wraps production. So throughout 2022, Dumois is increasingly flooded with sources saying that Florence Pugh and Olivia Wilde didn't get along during filming. However, over the summer, the internet begins to believe these rumors as Florence Pugh no longer posts about Don't Worry Darling. And the most noticeable example of this is when the Don't Worry Darling trailer premiered and instead of reposting that... She reposted the Oppenheimer poster, which is a Christopher Nolan film that she's in that doesn't come out till summer 2023. So last week, a clip from the film dropped featuring Harry Styles and his, let's say, interesting accent. We won't drop a clip here. Instead, I'll do an impression of him. (laughs) Not a lot of people get this opportunity. (laughs) Okay, I did see that. His accent, look, I it's, can't... It's it's in the world of what you just did, scarily enough. Thank you. Look, I can't fucking act, despite these <laughs> impressions I do on this podcast. He sounds... This is your third impression. 
You do Harry Styles, Caitlyn Jenner, and Julianne Moore and Magnolia. Nothing else. But can I tell you the impression, I'll put that in quotes, of Harry Styles that I just did to me is Christian Bale in Velvet Goldmine. <laughs> when he's looking at the TV and he sees Ewan McGregor as the Iggy Pop character and he's trying to explain to his dad, he's like, that's me, dad, that's me. <laughs> <laughs> it's so true. <laughs> oh, Look, Harry Styles fans came to his defense. They said, maybe that's the twist in the film. Maybe he's actually British. Maybe you don't understand the levels he's working on, okay? <laughs> Which, fair enough. Yeah, but, maybe um, we don't know. Later that same week, Variety did a profile with Olivia Wilde where she said, among other things, that while she was an admirer of Shia LaBeouf's work, his process was not conducive to the ethos that she demanded in her productions. She goes on to say, his process was not conducive to the ethos that I demand in my productions. He has a process that in some ways seems to require combative energy. I believe that creating a safe, trusting environment is the best way to get people to do their best work. Ultimately, my responsibility is to the production and to the cast. Protect them, that was my job. And that's what you want to hear from your female directors. Uh-oh, ding dong, uh, Shia LaBeouf has entered the chat. <laughs> While he declined to speak to Variety for the Olivia Wilde profile, he did send them a trove of emails and texts that contradict Wilde's statements, um, and somehow a very cringy video that Wilde sent to LaBeouf practically begging him to stay on the film and saying that whatever happened that would make Olivia Wilde send this video to LaBeouf was quite the wake-up call for Ms. Flo, referring to Florence Pugh, leaked online. So that I saw. Everything else I did not know about, basically. I had no idea that she said that she fired him because he was toxic. So to be fair, she never directly sit, says this. Variety reported it in December 2020 after the FK Twigs allegations came out, but she's never refuted it and basically doubled down in that Variety article, which is fine. It's just a little odd that someone who's been in this industry for 20 years and the journey that she has made is not without intention to go from an actress who was on the OC to now directing studio films. That's a very intentional journey to slip up in this way against an actor who's very clearly a wild card, who, yeah. I mean, maybe she wasn't aware that she was intersecting his redemption tour that he's currently on right now. Yeah. Don't make me be on Team Shia LaBeouf. He kind of pulled a Kim Kardashian posting... Oh, the, the Taylor Swift. The Taylor Swift video vibes. Like, that's what he did. Look, it's a team Florence Pugh. And oddly enough, I mean, the, the strangest thing that has come out of this is Dumois had accurate tea because Florence Pugh, beyond the Venice Film Festival premiere that's going to happen in a few days, will not be promoting this film. She is the lead actress of this film. And they're using that she's shooting Dune right now. But don't worry, Darling and Dune are both Warner Brothers films. It is significant that she is not promoting this film. I get it. She had to deal with Shia LaBeouf's bullshit, which was probably terrible. And then she had to deal with witnessing this like sick romance between Harry Styles and Olivia Wilde. I want this movie to succeed. I don't like this discourse having to do with a female writer-director because if this film doesn't do well, that's what they're going to do. They're like, well, that's why we don't hire female directors. Right, because they just, like, fuck their leads. Even though male directors have done much, 
much fucking worse and gotten away with it. Of course. Including fucking Shia LaBeouf. So I took one for the team, guys, okay? I watched almost all of the two hours that Shia LaBeouf did on that podcast with John Bernthal. <laughs> it seems like that's something that you would love to do. The weirdest thing about this Shia LaBeouf redemption tour is he's like, oh, the last time I went on a redemption tour, that was all bullshit. Including when I wrote a script about my abusive childhood. Oh, by the way, my father never abused me. Wait. So, Honey Boy, yes. was not all about his abusive father? I didn't see it, but that's the vibe that I got from the yeah. trailer. Uh, on this podcast, he goes, my father never touched me. He said, my father spanked me once when I was smoking. He's been nothing but loving to me. Whoa. So he lied to revive his career one time. So it's a little hard to listen to him. It disturbs me. One, he never says FK Twigs by name. He doesn't use her name. He says that woman. He says, I hurt that woman. That woman, Miss Lewinsky vibes. (laughs) Also, he says at one point, I want to give dudes who fuck up hope. (laughs) But it's also like, I'm not looking for anything from this. He goes, I don't even want a career anymore. By the way, he has a film in Venice and he just got cast in the new Francis Ford Coppola film. So he is insufferable. (sighs) Yeah. But has great fashion sense. Chelsea, no. (laughs) What do you mean? You don't think he dresses well? We don't support this. I can think he dresses well and not support his behavior. Anyway, I'm so, so curious to see what the reviews are for Don't Worry Darling. And I will be there first thing Friday. What Friday when? Like this Friday? No, September 23rd. (laughs) By the way, maybe we are all playing into Olivia Wilde's master PR plan because Deadline just had an article that the film is tracking to do well and will probably be number one. Mostly because it's Harry Styles and girls between the ages of 17 and 24 and guys are going to go see the film. Right. But like, will they care? I wonder. Is it good? We have no idea. Basically, guys, that is the Don't Worry Darling drama. It's a lot to do with nothing. Florence Pugh remains a queen. We stand. We have to. Okay, so did you watch the rehearsal? Of course I did. I know we are weeks late to this, <laughs> but we Yeah, finally, so late to the party. It's we, embarrassing. We both finally finished the rehearsal. Nathan Fielder's new docu-series meta-reality show? Is that a good way to describe yeah, it? Yeah, it's great. Thank you. Yeah. What? Well, did you like it? What did you think? Yeah, I mean, I watched Nathan For You, so I, in a way I knew what I was getting into, but before I watched it, because I was away traveling, I would just see the discourse about it of like people freaking out about like, this is abusive to children. And like, I just felt like the discourse about like what was real or if this was real or if this was scripted, it reminded me so much of the almost like conspiratorial discussions when the Blair Witch Project came out. (laughs) Where people were like, no, you don't understand. These people really went into the woods. It's like, I mean, I understand Hollywood is, is bankrupt, but you really think that a bunch of kids died in the woods and they took the footage and put it out for everyone? So... Explain to our listeners what this show is about. The show begins with... So you never saw Nathan for you. Nathan for you. I had started watching it since watching this. So yes, I now know what Nathan for you is. It is almost an extension of that show where he is taking different reality show formats. So in the rehearsal, it's, hey, do you have something 
that you need to get off your chest or something you essentially need to rehearse, right? It begins with someone who lied about his education to a friend and Nathan Fielder is going to help him have that conversation with that person by perfectly scripting it. And it just sort of is a Russian nesting doll of meta. <laughs> it's very nesting doll. It's it's one of those... I mean, it truly is an experience where you have to watch it. I mean, it's not like there isn't a deep history of comedians who perform this like meta performance alternative personality like when i was watching the rehearsal i was thinking a lot about andy kaufman yeah for sure and his lounge singer persona tony clifton which like i mean up until his death after his death he claimed was never him and with the rehearsal if you look at the do you think the rehearsal is totally scripted yes there are good three writers credited on every episode (laughs) so you do you think the wife is an actor For those who haven't seen the rehearsal, (laughs) it's so hard to explain, which is why I want to pass the torch to you to do this. Right. The the first person is someone who lied about his education to someone. Nathan is able to help him get through that conversation in the first episode. The second episode is a woman who thinks she wants to have a child, isn't sure. So then he, in a very Truman Show-esque experience, mimics child rearing and that basically is descends into the next four or five episodes of the show yeah so when you look up that woman's name what comes up is a linkedin profile to a woman who's a voiceover artist in oakland and also pretty much everyone including that woman angela angela yeah that's her name right are on cameo right now chelsea so you tell me well of course they're on cameo they would be idiots to not be on Cameo. I There's someone's job at Cameo to find these people and force them to be on Cameo. We know this because Cameo people have emailed us separately and together to get on Cameo. Yeah, and we have to ghost. Yes, I think all of it is scripted. Because when you look up the, the writers, the other credited writers other than Nathan, they're people who've worked on Tim and Eric, Eric Andre like who are also masters of is this real is this scripted is this not right what do you think it's hard because i have face blindness so i actually (laughs) can't tell the difference between the real people and then like the actors that they hire to play them that also must have been confusing (laughs) for you because at a certain point it's extremely confusing they have to go to oregon because angela wants to raise her children on a or her child on a farm that because of oregon actor laws especially child labor laws they have to switch out the children every four hours that was kind of the most interesting part of the rehearsal is they really let you know what these child labor laws are like and what the confines of them are and what these kids can legally, how much these kids can legally be exploited at any given time. What I wonder about is if they had an outline of where they thought each episode would go and it did go off in different directions. Like the for those who haven't seen it, the biggest discourse that happened occurs in the season finale of the show where one of the one of the child actors that plays Nathan's child is unable to distinguish that he is an actor and that Nathan is not actually his father. And so it's like was that real or is that child actor like a little Natalie Portman? <laughs> I don't know what is reality, Lauren, but that's the point of it, right? 
Yeah, and I think the show is more about investigating our obsession in poking what is real and what is not. I mean, it's part of the fascination with the Kardashians, which is it's simultaneously a very scripted reality show, like, you know, when Kylie and Chris go to the supermarket together, but then there's really real shit that happens, like uh, Tristan cheating on Chloe. I think there's some reality in this. Or I hope there is. But I understand that these are written episodes at the same time. I think written as far as there's an outline very much like Curb Your Enthusiasm. Yeah, of course. I really liked watching it despite really not understanding what was going on. (laughs) There's going to be a season two of the rehearsal, which I'm very intrigued what that's going to be. Because I think they need to, they're going to have to reboot the show. Reboot what show? The rehearsal. Like, I think they're going to oh. reboot what the central premise is. Like, I wonder if, I wonder what in reality or manufacturing reality he's going to explore. Yeah. Uh, for anyone that likes Nathan Fielder, for you, Chelsea, you should look up his appearance on Jimmy Kimmel when Nathan For You was on. The whole bit is because it's his first time on a talk show, he's worried that he's not going to be an interesting guest. So he tells Jimmy that he's brought someone else on in case at any point, if Jimmy finds him boring, he can just talk to that person. Right. And that person is Susan Sarandon. (laughs) That's amazing. He's absolutely crazy. Watching this, it did remind me of the Beaver trilogy, which we discussed a few episodes ago when Olivia Newton-John died. If he referenced that for the second season, if the second season of the rehearsal was an even bigger budgeted version and redoing the first season of the rehearsal. Well, that's basically what he's doing. He's hiring actors to reenact something that really happened in the real world. And each time is kind of like interrogating it and expanding upon the story and that sort of thing. Like it's very, it's a similar thought process. Unfortunately, the show is on HBO, which is going through its own growing pains right now. I can I could just imagine Daddy Zaslav is like, I'm sorry, we are recreating to scale a, a bar in Brooklyn and then shipping it to Oregon. I'm sorry, what are we doing now? I actually used to live a couple blocks away from that bar. So it was bizarre to see it replicated in this way. Did it have a good trivia night? Did you go to that? No, I never went there. I just walked by. I mean, I went there a couple times because it was down the block, but it wasn't my favorite bar in Williamsburg in 2008. It's that time. After weeks of just a desert of Kardashian news, we have things to talk about. Let's play the theme. Kardashaholics Anonymous. This is a case for the FBI. (laughs) Okay, so... I feel like there's breaking news going on. Chelsea, do you want to check if like Kanye has posted <laughs> anything to Instagram in the hour we've been talking? Yeah, hold up. Uh, I think so, because people are texting us stuff. Oh, no. Hold on. Oh, no. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> oh. Hold, on. hold on, guys. We need there's a minute. There's so much stuff. Uh, okay, while well, Chelsea fills in on what, what has happened in the last hour, I will just go back and say that Kanye has been in a... Instagram spiral since yesterday. It seems to have been kicked off by Gap canceling a Japanese children's shoot and then... Okay, his grievances against Gap are as follows. They canceled a shoot, a Yeezy Gap shoot with his kids. They had a meeting about him behind his back, which is like 
yeah, surely they should be doing that on a daily basis. And they copied or they released clothes that were similar to Yeezy Gap Balenciaga stuff that he had designed or like Yeezy foam slides, which he took issue with. And he didn't deliver on his promise of making brick and mortar stores for Yeezy Gap, which who knows if that's true. Like, was that in his contract? I don't know. But that's that is what kicked off this shitstorm. Which now on, I will say we were recording this on Thursday evening, has gone into the school that Kim has the children in. Yeah, it switched from Gap stuff to he's pissed that his kids go to Sierra Canyon, which is a very bougie private school in L.A., out in Calabasas. Anyone that lives in Calabasas, the Will Smith children, they all go there. I think Dwayne Wade and uh, I forget. A bunch of a bunch of very famous basketball players' children go there and they have a very good basketball team. What I find especially bizarre about the annoyance of them going to this school and Kanye saying that they can't make this choice without him is North is what, 9, 10? This school starts in pre-kindergarten. She's been going to this school for for years. You have a problem with it now? Yeah, that's weird. And what, because he wants to homeschool them? He would. He seems like he is distrustful of institutions and would rather, like, design Adidas shoes with North than have her go to school. Which is, it's funny that the child that is reportedly, seemingly the most like him is his eldest. Because good luck telling your 10-year-old daughter, who's exactly like you, that she can no longer see her friends and go to the school she's gone to for the last six years. Have fun with that. Yeah. Okay, so what's... He also... Okay. Yeah, well, so what's going on, Chell? What did, what did we miss while we were recording? Okay, so he posted... An image that's just a text-based image that says Tristan Trav Scott. And it says, calling my fellow cum donors. We end this together. <laughs> okay, sorry. It's funny. It's That's pretty funny. Um, he's posting text messages from Kim of her being like, stop doing this. He posted one text from Kim where she was like, this is from my mom. Basically, Yeah, and Chris is like, I am almost 67 years old and I don't always feel great and this stresses me out to no end, which I guess he replied, y'all don't have so-so over my black children and where they go to school. They will not do Playboy and sex tapes. Tell your Clinton friends to come get me. I'm here. What is his preoccupation with Hillary Clinton and thinking that Hillary Clinton... Was he upset when he heard that Kim beat Hillary Clinton in law knowledge? Is that what the connection is? Like this latest connection? I feel like he's probably Pizzagate vibes. Oh, you know? A thousand and ten percent. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Like I understand having like a distrust of establishment politicians like Hillary Clinton, but like this is veering into a territory that is dark and unseemly. Oh, well, but Kanye does have a message for us, though. Anybody that says I'm spiraling when I express the undeniable truth is a sheep. Shut the fuck up and worry about your own kids. Well, we don't have children, so who should we be worrying about, Joe? I don't understand this one. He's like, ask Pete how those tattoos of my kids doing in the trauma unit. 
Oh, because he went to trauma therapy. And he had oh. the kid's initials tattooed on his neck. That was a weird call. Uh, yeah, that was, that was a... In uh, retrospect, uh, that's not... I was driven crazy before. I'm not going crazy no more. I'm not up to Calabasas or Hulu where my kids go to school. I'm not crazy one here. I'm sorry. Didn't he get a fire truck and bring them to Sierra Canyon in a fire truck in the first season of the Kardashians? Yeah. Also, there's this one that just says Travis Scott. These my brothers. I'm the only one I ever seen stand up to Chris, though. Come fight me. I love pain. So Travis Scott has stood up to Chris. Well, I believe I believe how this is supposed to be read is Trav is Scott. Oh, what, like Scott Disick? Oh, maybe. He's working on many levels we don't understand. Anyway, we've been in this cycle with Kanye before. We're in it again. This should last at most eight weeks. Yeah. I feel terrible for Kim. Like, we all say what you want about Kim, but, like, she has a very prescribed schedule. Do you, do you think now? <laughs> yes, she does. I think about that do whenever you, he does this. Do you think at this point, Tracy Romulus is like, look, I think we now need to schedule this into your schedule. That this is going to happen twice a year. Once a quarter, he's going to go off on Instagram for about two weeks. Yeah. Well, it's scary. You know, he's mentally ill. He's spiraling out spectacularly. He's not mentally ill. He's mentally free and if we think he's mentally ill we are the sheep chelsea so how do you feel about that <laughs> wait what does sheep do oh they ba 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 <laughs> guys we're recording without air conditioning and we're unhinged right now oh yeah maybe that's why i feel crazy <laughs> no it's just it's it's balmy <laughs> All right. Um, I think that's it with Kanye. Unfortunately, I'm sure as I'm editing this, this podcast and we release it, there's going to be 72 more posts. But as of now, that's what's happening. But other than that, there's not much to report on other than Kim is one of the stars of the new Balenciaga fall winter campaign. I think the most interesting thing about it is that in the campaign, she's wearing the dress she wore to the Vanity Fair Oscars party. Yeah, I thought that was weird. But yeah, it looks great. I mean, Balenciaga ads are always good. Although I feel like the Gucci Kubrick ad could eat this for dinner. That is the ad for the fall winter season. Yeah, we forgot to talk about that. That was major. Did you notice that during the Barry Lyndon croquet sequence, they literally took out Marissa Berenson and replaced her with a Gucci model? Yeah. Which I feel like Marissa could have rocked that Victorian Gucci Adidas dress personally, but whatever. It was fabulous. I think the last thing to talk about is there's a new Kardashian trailer. We haven't talked about this since the Kim and Pete breakup, but it I would imagine quite like Astro World, they will now be editing around Kim's relationship with Pete, which there are some events like the Met Gala that will be impossible to edit around, but I imagine that scenes that we would have seen previously will be edited out of this season. Yeah, I think you're right. So what what did they give us? We're, we're going to finally see what Kim thinks about the reaction to her Variety interview, where she said that no one wants to work. Where she's like, yeah, I get why people would, would misunderstand this. <laughs> We're getting the Met Gala. Chris is having some sort of surgery and crying in leopard Dolce & Gabbana pajamas. Did you see Yo? 
Is Yo in the trailer? Yes. Prominently featured. Our friend Yo works with the Kardashians a lot. And it's nice to know that there's like one lesbian in their vicinity because I feel like they're not really friends with lesbians aside from like, well, they have that private chef. Right. And then Ellen DeGeneres. And Yo. And Yo. Exactly. Well, that was very exciting. Yeah, we also see Courtney's wedding dress fitting. I don't know. They are not delivering on the promise that the editing cycle was going to be faster and we would get the show from shoot date to when it aired in a faster cycle than keeping up with. It's upsetting, but we have to accept that, you know, this is what they're giving us. We'll take the scraps that we can get 10 months after they happen. And also because Kim is a good person, despite what Kanye says, and doesn't want a public record of Kanye's behavior, we don't get to see the, we're not going to get to see the meltdowns he has and how that really affected the family. Other than I'm sure a five second conversation where Kim's like, things are really stressful right now. It's true, but I get it. She has kids with him. Who won't be in Playboy or OnlyFans. He says in one of these posts, I know girls who sell pussy that don't agree with how my daughters are displayed. It's like your daughters are not like walking around like little John Benet Ramsey's. Like North looks like a normal kid. A tomboy, if anything else. Yeah. It's definitely creepy. It's not going in a good direction. We didn't reference the video that he put on his Instagram on reels of all places. His heavily edited odd aspect ratio meeting with gap executives where he admonishes them for laughing at him because they don't know what else to do in the moment because they're so awkward but he also gives a weird ted talk about fashion he's like i didn't know why i loved louis vuitton until i knew about mark jacobs i didn't get gucci until i knew about tom ford I didn't get Ralph Lauren until I knew about Ralph Lipschitz. Yeah, that was iconic. And literally the Gap executives are like, can you just please deliver a collection on time? And he's like, you can't rush me. This is for Virgil. It's like Virgil delivered on deadlines, Kanye. Yeah, it's it's all very dark. I do feel bad for these executives because I'm sure the executives that signed off on the Kanye deal have since been fired. And it's like new people that have to deal with this and try to make the best out of a bad situation. Like this collaboration is not going to save Gap. As we've discussed on a previous episode, all they had to do, like Levi's, is just make good jeans and add to that a good white t-shirt. That's all Gap had to do. And they've gone in every direction except that. Yeah. And so in some ways, although I do feel for the Gap executives, it's like, you did this to yourselves. Yeah, of course. They partnered with someone who was visibly unhinged, again, to invoke the famous Maya Angelou quote, when someone shows you who they are, believe them. He's always been like this. So it's not that surprising that he could be a liability at some point. Okay, the lack of air conditioning is fully melting our brains. Yeah, but before we leave, I want to read a couple of reviews that were left by listeners in the iTunes store. Okay. What, are you not going to let me? Yeah, no, I'm going to let you, of course. (laughs) Okay. Why would I? I'm very ambivalent about this. I was imagining turning on the air conditioning. That's where my mind (laughs) is right now. Sorry, bitch. Okay, this one. Title, great podcast. Five stars. 
If I had a dollar for every time they use the analogy of AI bots being fed a thousand hours of content about X subject matter to describe a movie or show about said subject, I'd probably have $15. But seriously, I do love the show so much. Never stop XO. That's true. That totally is our Lady Gaga hundred people in the room (laughs) thing. Well, now I'm going to stop using that analogy. (laughs) I think we have to keep going now. Oh, that's our thing? Well, I think we overuse it because to an extent it's true. Like now that there's so much data for like every movie and TV show, it's like everything is engineered based on that. Yeah, I think it speaks to the era of pop culture we're in where everything feels very derivative in a mechanical way. Yeah, exactly. All right, another five-star review. Title, Norma Kamali, Jill Sander. (laughs) This podcast knows its audience like Norma Kamali knows her customer base. Every outfit creates content that contours to fit our insatiable need for high fashion criticism and analysis while also giving the dolls fresh, hot Kardashian takes. Love that. Best review. And another thing I wanted to mention, in a lot of these reviews, people mentioned preppy guys that they deemed to be fuckable. So I will read a list of them now. Ryan O'Neill from Love Story, the Winklevoss twins, as played by Army Hammer in The Social Network. Oh, right. Chase Crawford in Gossip Girl, all Ralph Lauren models, a young Prince Harry playing Polo, Zach Morris from Saved by the Bell, and Carlton from The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. That was a huge oversight. Yeah. I like all Ralph Lauren models. I don't know if I agree with that. Although I do love those Ralph Lauren models that are like their in-house models that like never model for anyone else. Like they can't and they only do Ralph Lauren print campaigns. Do you know what I'm talking about? Like that little boy that Karl Lagerfeld was obsessed with? Yeah, like that vibe. All right, guys, we'll be back next week. Hopefully this heat dome will have broken in Los Angeles. Yeah. All right. We will be back next week talking about dumb bullshit as always. Love you guys. Bye. Bye. (laughs) 